Welcome to Soulful Connections. I'm Amanda Solar, host and creator of the podcast and SoulfulLiving.com. This is the place people will connect you to their stories, their journeys, and how they've found meaning in their lives. Join us. Let's connect. Connection. So welcome to Soulful Connections, Kristen Smedley. And your list of accomplishments is so long, so inspiring. I have so many questions, but let's start with your latest accomplishment because it's sitting behind you and I can see it. Tell me about your book. We'll work backwards. Oh my God, Amanda, first of all, I'm so happy to see you. Thank you for having me on this. This show is unbelievable how how far and wide you've gone so fast. If I didn't like you so much, I'd be jealous. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh my gosh, you know, I, I was just talking to a friend of mine this morning about, about this book. I cannot, first of all, I can't believe that it's finally happening. And, and of all the things that I thought I'd never be able to say that I am a children's author, you know, I was a, an elementary school teacher and I, I planned, I knew I was going to be an elementary school teacher from the time I was five. Really? Yeah. Which seems so weird. And we were talking about the whole, you know, well, back then there wasn't a lot of options for women. However, I just knew, and my poor brothers, I have four brothers. I would sit them in little chairs in my dad's workshop where he hung a chalkboard for me. And I would teach them everything that I thought that they should know. And I would get like teachers would clean out their closets at the end of the year. I would get all the worksheets, you know, and I would, I would oh pass them out. Gosh. I have brothers that actually sat through that. They're the greatest men now on the entire planet. But, um, but I just, are you the youngest? Are you the oldest? <laughs> I'm second in birth order, first in command. <laughs> <laughs> I have four brothers. I have four brothers, no sisters. So they just they just nod and smile. Nod and smile. So much. But it's funny because they almost all of them have married teachers. It's it's just it's funny. But um yeah, Do so I have, just what, what about your mom or your dad? Teachers? No, you know what? My dad, you know, he should have been. He could have been the most amazing high school teacher, but you know, they, my parents were shift workers and did everything possible to get us a good education. And he didn't get to go follow dreams like that, you know? And I know that that's why it was so important to him to support all of our dreams. And, and, oh my gosh, when I talk about my dad, it's like, mm. my brothers and I are all living these lives that are incredible and all the sacrifices my parents made to make that happen. And I used to be so regretful and guilty for my dad that he didn't get to pursue a career in teaching. But when I look back, I mean, a lot of my speeches now are built around him as a coach and him as a storyteller. And, and like, if I could be half the coach and a fraction of the storyteller that he has always been, I, that would be a dream. He just, he impacted kids in all different ways, which made me realize you don't have to be in a classroom to impact the world and impact kids in this world. Cause he never was. And oh my God, you say his name to people that I grew up with and, and still they just light up because he was just unbelievable. Wow. 
for them. He even, he even, uh, we always have Christmas Eve at my parents. And for a long time, it was a huge thing with a bunch of the neighbors coming. And then our family got so big with grandkids that they kind of shut that down. But I remember one time in college, I came back, we had Christmas Eve and the place was packed. And, and one of my younger brother's friends knocked on the door because he knew that my dad would be home. To this day, we have no idea what was happening in that kid's life that he just needed. to. And my dad in the snow, in the cold, went out front, talked to this kid for like a half an hour on Christmas Eve. Like that's just the kind of guy that he is. And the kids knew that they could come to him. He was strict as could be though, man. He was a military guy, but um, I'm just so grateful for all of his sacrifice and his intentional parenting that he did. I love that. I mean, he sounds amazing and it makes sense, Kristen, because you're amazing. And, you know, I'm wondering how you went from, you know, the five-year-old who lined up her brothers and decided to be a teacher to somebody who started Thriving Blind Academy, is now a children's book author, podcast host, global speaker, um, started your own foundation, started Brilliantly Resilient. Like, first of all, I always say to you, and I do wonder how you manage it all. But secondly, what was that journey like from five-year-old, I want to be a teacher, to today? Well, I'll tell you, you know, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. I just always did. And I went to college for it. I always knew, you know, back then it was like, what, you, you get a job, you get the husband, you get the house, you get the car. And I did all that. And I was very much the, the planner, organizer, achiever. I mean, I was the big achiever in my house. There was an expectation everybody had that Kristen was going to be the highest achiever, which is fine. You know, we crack under that pressure a little bit here and there. But I came through and did it all. And I had checked every box and I had everything. I mean, I even had that that perfect green lawn and, and the street that I lived on. All the sprinklers came on at the same time, you know. And then when I finally had it all, I, I my biggest dream ever was to be a mom. I had the most amazing role model of a mom and a grandmother. Like I had women in my life that were incredible moms. So I couldn't wait to do that. And of course it's me, do it even better, you know? Right, right. <laughs> Take it one next level. And um, and I had everything I ever wanted. And then, and then uh, you know, there's my brand new baby. And I hear at four months old, your son is blind. And that wasn't in, oh my God, that was nowhere in the cards. And I, I don't even want to say I came from some easy life. And we had a lot of challenges growing up. So it wasn't like this was the first big thing that ever happened to me. But this was the first time that there was, this was not in the plan. And I had absolutely no idea to, what to do with it. And neither did anybody else. Nobody, there was nowhere. I mean, this was 23 years ago. There was no Facebook. There was no support groups. There was absolutely nothing. And when a doctor at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia says to you, good luck, I have no idea what to tell you. You know, and I thought, oh my God, of course, you know, my mind started racing when he said he's blind. And I was like, well, wait a minute. And my first question, this is so ridiculous, but this is for all the listeners that think that they ask stupid questions. No, I, I'm the <laughs> queen, the queen of that. I said to him, you know, oh, let me back up before I tell you my stupid question. You know how, when you first find out you're pregnant, you're like, I just want a healthy baby. Yes. And then as it's like, you're thinking and your belly's growing, like when you're me, it's like healthy. 
okay, maybe like super smart. And then by, by month nine, I'm like quarterback, you know, pitcher, right? I mean, I was a big sports nut and I'm like, oh, this kid is going to have like all this talent, summa cum laude, you know, the whole thing. So when I hear all of those dreams, I'm like, which one of them's I got to pick and choose now, which, so I said to the doctor, will we play baseball? Like I was like, how blind are we talking? And my reference point was not reading or writing, right? I'm like, will he play baseball? And he looked at me like I had 10 heads and he was like, absolutely not. And I'm like, and then I'm thinking, and then my next thing, you know, at first I'm sports minded. My next thing is school. I'm like, is he going to go to school? And he said, not the public school, not the way you're thinking. That's when I was like, this is like really blind. And then I'm like, well, what is, what is going to happen? What is he going to be able to do? And he said, I have no idea, but good luck. So what were you feeling? You were feeling, you had those questions. Did it knock you down? Did you feel immobilized at all? Well, I, I literally landed on the floor of that little, you know, if you know children's hospital, those, yes. those exam rooms are teeny tiny. They have so many in that building. I mean, talk about it, it still takes my breath away when I think about hearing when I heard him say that. And then he said to me, listen, I understand that this is really hard news and you didn't expect this, but I'm going to need you to to I understand you got to get yourself together. But could you do it in the hallway? Because we have a waiting room full of other families. And I was like, oh, my God. And I'll never forget the drive home. From there, at the time, my grandmother was living with my parents. I was very tight with my grandmother, but she was in that like probably three years of she was in her 90s. And it was like, why am I still here kind of thing? And she was in a very not good place mentally and was being very hard on everybody when she had been a lifetime of light and love and joy. And it was so hard to watch her go through this angry stage. And I'm telling you, Amanda, I walked in. And my grandmother's sitting there and I thought, I do not want to deal with, with her anger and the way she's at. And she said, how did it go? And I told her what, oh my gosh, I told her what happened. And for the first time in three years, her light came back and she stood up and gave me the biggest hug. And she said, I, I don't know how I know this, but this is all going to be fine. Gives me chills everywhere, Kristen. Oh, and I'm telling you, it was a moment of she finally was back. And then yeah. from that moment on, she went back to being her her love and and light, even though that was so hard for her in the in the, in the next, you know, six, seven years of her life to not have the life that she used to have. And she said to my mom one time, she goes, I know why I'm still here. It because then I you know had subsequent kids. She goes, I'm supposed to help Kristen with those kids. She was like a hundred, literally, when she said <laughs> but that. You know what? That shows the power of purpose. Oh, as soon as you said that to her, you awakened her purpose or you reawakened her purpose for her. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because I was just reading a book from uh, Matthew Kelly's latest little book, and it talks about having a purpose. Like, that's what we're here for. And a lot of this other stuff that's happening, the the depression, the anger, all of that, it's because we're not connected to purpose. I believe that. That's interesting. So then this is your oldest son, Michael. And how did you proceed? Did, did he go to school and what happened? 
Well, I would love to say that at that moment, I was like, I got this. All right, grandmom's on my side. Like, we totally got this. But I will say, um, you know, I, I give myself a lot of grace now because I really didn't want to admit it. Of course, that I admitted it in a TED Talk, which if you're going to just tell the world, you just do it in a TED Talk. I felt a lot of guilt and shame over the fact that that for three years, I mean, there was no information. There was no connection to anyone that had anything like this. And there was Hollywood sharing the story of blindness being devastating, right? That's all I knew. Sure. So I spent three years every single day at night. I would pray blindness away. Like, just take this, yes. take this, take this, take this, take this. I need the miracle. I need the fourth, fifth, 10th specialist to say, no, that's not what this is. Yeah. So every night I did that for three years and every single morning, I'd walk in, get Michael out of his, his crib or his little toddler bed as he got older and was pissed off every morning. Every night I'm praying it away and every morning I'm pissed that it's still there. For three years, three years I lived like that. And then it was when I was, you know, it took, my boys are three and a half years apart because that was a, that was a, the person I was married to at the time, trying, two of us not being able to get our heads around something was not healthy. And then he was of the camp of, I can't do this again. And I, I am such a nerd. I am such a scholastic research nerd. I went around and talked to parents that had one child and children that grew up an only child. Cause I needed, I have such a big family. I needed to get my head around only child, you know? Cause if that's the route we were going to go, I needed to understand that. And I, I just couldn't, I, I finally came to the conclusion because here's the thing with this blindness, every pregnancy has a 25% chance of another affected child. So in, in LCA, which is what we have, you see in all these families, once there's a child that has it, there's no kids after that. Parents are too, they're too impacted and devastated. And if their firstborn has it, they're an only child for the most part. So I was like, I always say that my memoir could be Delirious Optimist. That's the title, like Delirious Optimist. Because I'm like, wait a minute. Only child, I don't, I don't think I could do that. And 25% chance isn't that big. Like 75 is bigger. And right. it's me. I'm, I've always had some pretty good luck in this world. You know, my dad always gave me the lottery tickets to scratch off because I would always win at least a dollar. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. So I'm like, oh, that's a pretty good chance. So then we, I end up pregnant with my Mitchell. And I, oh, my gosh, I'm telling you, the one morning when I was eight months pregnant, it was like math major in college and math award in third grade. Kristen showed up and was like, dude. 25% is a big risk. And then I panicked. I mean, I, well, I panicked, I ugly cried and I was mad as hell. And I'm like, there's just no way. And I was, it was my most scared, devastated and angry moment of my entire life. And it was my Michael that came into the room and his, and his big line that changed everything was mommy. Isn't this the best day ever? And he was three and a half years old. And Amanda, I'm telling you, and you've, you've met my Michael and you see him on social media. There's not many times in 23 years that he hasn't been smiling with the most optimistic point of view and going after every day for everything that it's got to bring. And he's been like that his whole life. And for three and a half years, I missed it. I wasn't seeing that. I was so seeing through the lens of this is not how it was supposed to be. 
-hmm. instead of the lens of look at all that it could be. And when I switched, he switched how I looked at it. I always say I prayed for a cure for blindness for three and a half years. And that was the moment that I got it. It wasn't, I didn't need for Michael's blindness to change. I needed mine to change. Oh and I was God, literally blind to my son's purpose. I, when that came off, oh my gosh, I was like, then I felt like the worst mom ever. I thought, you know, I dreamt to be a mom my whole life and I wanted to be even better than the role models I had. And here I was the worst mom ever that I wasn't getting him the tools he needed. I was ignoring everything he needed because I was trying to shove my life into what I thought it was supposed to be. But I will say once that moment happened, I mean, I would love to say that I just skipped along and everything was great. It did help tremendously that when Mitch was born a few weeks later and diagnosed also at four months old with the same blindness, I mean, that was a sucker punch and it, it only took me a couple of weeks. So I did, and I realized, and I, for people that are listening, I realize now when things happen that don't go my way, I do have to sit in it for a little bit to not push it away, stuff it away. I did sit in it for about two, three weeks. But when you have this bouncing little three and a half year old, that is the role, like the ray of sunshine, the, the total, the total optimist and the, and the role model, I realized he was the role model I never had for him. Wow. Now yeah. I've got him to prove to me life is still amazing. Just for the love of God, get me some access to this world. I can't see made it a heck of a lot easier. That is incredible. I love to the fact, Kristen, that you did have to experience it and wallow in it and feel sad. I love that message because um, I feel like that's important to share with people that, yeah, you didn't give birth, find out he was blind and just immediately skip happily around knowing your next move. You didn't know. And by the way, I think that part of your story seems to be also that you were making up your next moves. There were no next moves for you. Yeah. So how did that work? Because now you're in this world, which is unfamiliar territory. Um, and it isn't a world where there's access. I mean, we don't even have access now in tremendous fashion, but, but then I'm sure that we had even less. So then what skills with, and traits do you have to access to make that happen? Well, it's the truth. I mean, there, there was no, there was no Google. There wasn't anything. I will say that there was, um, this is where I, when I look back on my entire life, it's, it's relationships that have been the foundation of me coming, you know, bouncing back from everything and me where I am now. And it was, it was um, me reaching out to people. You know, it's so hard to ask for help. And, and I don't know why that is for us sometimes. Mm -hmm. And asking questions, you know, and I don't, now I don't care if they're dumb questions. It is what it is. I mean, I asked the dumbest question of all if the kid was going to play baseball. So, well, you can't really go any lower and dumber, <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> I just have to share one thing. It's so funny. My middle one had open heart surgery and she had some other complications. And the doctor at one point, she was getting better. And he said, he was telling me things that she couldn't, couldn't do. And he said, you know, she can't kickbox. And I swear to you, Kristen, I said, but what if she wants to kickbox? My, I don't know why. I just started thinking, oh my gosh, what if she wants to kickbox? And he looked at me and he said, well, 
maybe she could kickbox. He was, <laughs> but I think what you're also illustrating is that you know we are just born with this desire that whatever my kid, I want the world to be open to them. Yeah, that's almost what you were saying. I want the world for my child. Yeah, yeah. You know? But and, and what I realized too is it's also this is what I think, and then I'll come back to your question about when I was talking about relationships. Yeah. I think the biggest, I don't consider blindness or any, any of these setbacks that happen a blessing. The blessings lie in the, how you're looking at it and what can come from it. Right. So I do consider that original diagnosis and, and the one of Mitchell to be the biggest blessing for me as a mom, because I actually, I actually can't even sit and think about the mom I would be had we not had that challenge, right? Succumbing to all the things that the world is because here's what happened. And I, I, I tell this to, I know this is hard for, going to be hard to land with all your listeners, but trust me, if there's one thing I know for sure, blindness eliminated all of my dreams for my kids, all of them, right? So they got to go with a clean slate of their own dreams. Cause I just said to them, I have no idea what you're going to be able to do in this world, but you go for it. And I promise you, I always said to them, you know, uh, you, I'll get you what you need and I'll follow your lead. I, and look where they've led me. Right. I could yeah. never, if, if they would have been doing the things I wanted for them, we would have this tiny little life. I'd be that Karen that people can't stand. Right. You know, <laughs> like what, yeah. I know that 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 I there there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure in this world to to dream for your kid and yep. shove them down that path. And I got to say, I don't freaking know what I'm doing or what you're gonna do. So I, I always say to folks, especially in the in the in the audiences that have a lot of parents, I always say to envision them with their backpack on, right? They've got their own dreams loaded in there. But when yours are in there too, and they're trying to carry both and keep everybody happy, I honest to God, Amanda, I see that's where so many of the problems that our kids have now yeah. stem from. And we do it out of love and and wanting more for them and all the things. I mean, even so I should mention, because I always forget, we'll make we'll make sure we mention right now I had a third child. <laughs> the third one is always like, oops. <laughs> <laughs> who was cursed with a lack of blindness <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes she can see i always say you know the boys have all these baby books and michael every little thing was documented Carissa has a folder of post-it notes <laughs> yeah, no, I <laughs> remember that she third, did so i get it <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate i um even with when she you know i coached her in soccer her whole life we met we had just met Carly Lloyd, you know, after, after her career took off. And then Carissa says, I I'm leaving soccer. I'm going to just go all in on basketball. And, and that was like, no, 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 no. We had a plan. Remember, remember we've been doing this our whole lives. And I was like, and that was instantaneously back to that moment of, oh my God, this is what I want for her. She needs to do what she wants for her. And oh, well, now look at now she's going to go on a full scholarship for basketball. And she like, now she's a four varsity sport athlete, but the light up she does on a basketball court, it, there's no comparison in the other sports that she plays. And that was all her because that is my worst sport. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I always joke that she went for that one. I don't really know what to yell because I suck at it so bad that I just cheer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so, oh my God. But anyway, God, that's my, my, you know, it's hard. It's hard to take your dreams off your kids. Yeah. But 
if you can readjust and I and I say you can adjust that at any moment. I mean, right now, as 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 my, Mitchell's like thinking about where he might want to switch colleges and Carissa is thinking about majors, like I just have to I'll be a sounding board, but I can't mm-hmm. put what I even though I can see them going down a path where they'd be phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I'm letting them figure that out. And that's hard. And so important for everybody to hear. I think it's important to hear that about parenting and also so many relationships, putting your expectations upon somebody else. I think that these are great um, lessons. And I don't want to um, part from what you were saying about relationships. You were talking about how you navigated and. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So so there was no Google. There was no nothing. But I did have I asked the question of I I actually pressed that guy, the the doctor, that guy. I have a lot of stories that involve that guy, you know? <laughs> They're always crowd pleasers. <laughs> Cause I win against that guy in every story. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I did as I was trying to get everything out of that room, I was like, I cannot leave here without you gotta send me I, I have to go somewhere. And there was he said there's one I was living um in Chicago at the time and visiting here back home in Philly. And he said there is one person in the world that knows at least a fraction about this disease. And I said, who is she and where is she? She was at Hopkins. So um, they actually, I mean, these people, it takes a year, you know, to get into specialists. It'll take up to a year. Got us in very quickly. And I said the same thing to her. Do you have anywhere that I can turn? And she said, there was one family back in Chicago of all places that had started getting groups of this group of families together. So that was a starting point there that I at least, and in my book, Thriving Blind, the intro, the intro chapter has me walking into that first ever conference that I was scared out of my mind. But that's where I began, begin relationships um, to start navigating how to do this. And I met a mom at that conference that, um, again, me with the dumb questions. I actually met, I, I've excelled in the fields that I'm in because I'm the one at conferences. When there's a ballroom and there's a microphone for questions, I get up and actually now ask the dumb question that everybody wants to ask, but nobody will do. So then they all come up and meet me. But I asked at that conference, this mom whose son had been this successful speaker. Um, He was hilarious. He was dynamic. And he has the same blindness my boys have. And he was 23 at the time. And my Michael was not even one yet. And um, then she was talking to the parents. And I said to her, they were all asking about when did you start Braille? And when was the white cane? And all I said was, when did you stop crying every day? And she looked at me with the most love from one mom to another. And she said, oh, oh, I know exactly where you're at. And she said, trust me, you're suddenly going to have a day. And I don't know when it is because we're all different, but there's going to be a day where you get to the end of the day and you go, oh, my God, I didn't shed a tear about this today. And she goes, and guess what? Then that day is going to turn into a week and then you're going to have a month. And she said, and then eventually, I promise you, it's going to fall in the background, but you have a lot of work to do between now and then. I mean, the fact that that mom, so that's why, you know, I will go out and talk to everyone as much as I possibly can, because a mom did that for me. She changed my life by admitting that to me and giving me that guidance, you know, and then from then on, when she said, you have a lot of work to do, I did. I got to work on it. I, I And it was a, a relationship with a, a friend of mine from college that was on my soccer team in college. Her niece had been diagnosed also. Same rare blindness. How bizarre. 
and that her sister said, um, Kristen, there's this new book out you should read. It's very hard to read, but it'll give you some hope. And here it was Eric Weinmayer. He had just come off of Mount Everest and he was the first blind person to ever summit Mount Everest. His book was the hardest. The first half was the hardest thing you could ever read because it's about him going blind and hating his life. But the second half is about he came from that, used it to his advantage. And now he's this unbelievable guy and we become good friends. And um, he actually wrote the foreword for my first book, Thriving Blind. But so now to bring the, to land this whole thing back to your original question about the children's book, you know, in terms of relationships, I went out and met, I just went and found them like this, this stalking creature. I went out and researched. I tell you, I, I am such a nerd. And when Google came on the scene, I'm like, oh my God, I went and found people that were succeeding without sight because I didn't know how to do it. And I would ask them how you do it. And it turned out I read Eric's book. Um, and then when Michael was six and in first grade here at Council Rock, I found out that Eric was coming to Philly because there was an organization here that was, he was getting the man of the year award for his inspiration and role modelship to the blind community. So they had this big event down the union league. And Eric's dad, I still don't know how I did this, but I got their home phone number somehow. I think that, I think that there's a lot of things in place now that you can't get people's home phone numbers <laughs> I feel for like me. Probably still could, Kristen, but <laughs> but I got his dad on the phone, and his dad was like, for years, his dad became a very good friend of mine. He just passed away last summer suddenly. That was that was a hard loss for the world and our community and my family. But he was like, I have no idea how you found my home phone number, but I'm gonna. I think he was a little scared of me, so he's like, I think I'm gonna give in to everything you say. But anyway, he got he got us to um, come down to the Union League and have a meet and greet for Michael and Eric. Wow. And Michael was six years old. And when I tell you one of the most amazing moments in my mom and my journey as a human was watching Michael, who we were fighting. Oh, I love Council Rock now, but kindergarten and first grade was a hard time for us. For them to stop having such minimal expectations for him. They said he was going to hang up his jacket in his cubby 70% of the time. And I'm like, why isn't he hanging up? So that was their outlook on this. So then I got to see Michael talk to this guy that was just like him, that had just done something so cool. To this day, we've never met a sighted person that climbed Everest, right? So Michael, in that moment, I watched his mind blow wide open to the fact that blind people do cool things and he was going to have an exciting life. And that's how it has played out. He has had the most exciting life because in that moment of meeting this guy, that was the image that he had, you know, at six years old, you're so impressionable as opposed to the messages he was getting from other people. So to this day, he looks at us like you small minded sighted people, you poor souls. But so watching that and then watching every year I'd had them, both of my boys meet these successful blind folks and ask them questions of how they did stuff. But when it came to, you know, writing this children's book, you know, I'm working with, I'm in the film industry now trying to change perceptions of blind, trying to change the adult's bias against blindness is so flipping exhausting, right? So I was like, wait a minute, the magical moment for us was Michael at six years old. That's where he never looked back. He literally never looked back that he was gonna have an exciting life. So I'm like, that's where we need to get 
the story will really change and the and the needle will really move is when kids, all kids, see blindness differently from six years old. That's what's going to be the world changer as they grow up and see this. But it's not even just blindness. I mean, this book has you looking at everything that you would consider a disadvantage, finding the advantage. And the bridge that, that you find out in this book is simply the tools that you need to access what you need to access. And what is the name of the book? What I Can Be is Up to Me. It empowers a child that the whole principle, the success principle of believing in yourself. I mean, that's what I really see as the core element of my guys and other people that are successful, not even just with blindness, any adversity. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking this is a book for every single kid. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you look at, you look at entrepreneurs, right? That everyone said that's the, that'll never work. It's yep. when you really believe in yourself, it doesn't matter what the world says. And that's yeah. the message of the book. It doesn't matter, but you go out and you, you believe in yourself, you get the tools that you need and, and you get some really good people around you. And then the sky's the limit. Kristen, how did you go from being the one who's researching and asking the questions to being the one who is giving a TEDx talk and who is writing books and speaking at conferences? Honestly, I, I, I trace it all back to my parents raised me in a way of, yes, you have a lot of gifts and talents, but at the core, you need to be of service to other people. We were just raised that way and they did it by example. There wasn't, there weren't things for, for my friends and I to do in, in middle school years and people were like finding things that weren't so healthy to do. They didn't just, they didn't just bitch about it. They didn't just complain. They started the youth group at the church and brought everybody in, right? Like they were always, if there's a problem, solve it and be of service to people. So when I was looking back on, I could have very easily gone off and, and um, gone into the pharmaceutical world. I had all these connections through my research organization and just gone that route and had this amazing life. I thought, how can you sit with all of this knowledge, knowing that this community is, is so hurting and parents are so, I just didn't want any other mom to sit the way I sat and suffer for all those years when I knew the way out, right? So I had all these people that helped me along the way. Who would I be to just say, all right, I'm good. And now my family, you know, I'm just going to go do my thing. That's not, that's not how I was raised. And I was thinking, oh, well, I'll do a TED Talk to be helpful and I'll write a book to be helpful. But then, then I was like, oh my gosh. And I was ready to just go, all right. I was of service, moms call me, you know, and I can get moving on my life. And then it was, it was the 70% the unemployment rate and 85% and of blind kids dropping out of college. And I was like, oh my God, we just worked so hard to get them to where they are in, in, in public school and they were achieving so much. And I thought, and now they're going to achieve all this for nothing that no one's going to give them a, a shot. Then that, then that wasn't servant. That wasn't of service anymore. That was at the core of that. This all is now like this, this mama bear that was like, Oh no, 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 no. We didn't do all this work. You're not going to tell my kid. No, just because you don't understand the real story of what you think disadvantage, all the advantage that is in there. That's where all that fuel came from. And then that's when I realized 
this is my purpose. But but in, in our uh, Mary Fran and I, in our brilliant and resilient work, we always talk about if you don't know, if you're in devastation or if you're even in a point in your life where, where am I supposed to go next? When you start taking steps forward from a, from a point of being of service, the purpose ends up showing itself. And what is the brilliantly uh, resilient work that you referenced for those who don't know? Oh, so that that's our uh, brilliantly resilient podcast and now school program and the ERGs and companies, the employee resource groups that they're, they're trying to develop fast and furious. That's where we go out in the world and say, you know, <laughs> life has its sucker punches. But everyone ever, there aren't just the lucky people out there. People say to me so many times, you know, it must be nice that you're able to get back up. And I'm like, no, this is, this is not just, it must be nice. There's a process to this. And, um, and people I've watched people, oh my gosh, in our podcast, people have come from the hardest of stories and have, have done this whole brilliantly resilient process of the reset, the rising, and then sharing their brilliance with the world that I am, I am 100% certain absolutely everybody has access to this because it's all, it's just like my book. It's all inside you. It's just a matter of tapping into it and honestly not listening to what the world says it should be happening. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, part of my whole kind of philosophy behind soulful living is authentic living, following your truth and your purpose and your joy and also, as I'm taught, as I'm listening, I'm thinking, how if you're Kristen Smedley, and you're working so hard to help your fam, your kids, you know, follow their dreams, how do you follow your own dream? Oh, no one's ever asked me that before. <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever asked me that before, and I will say this is interesting. The question is landing right now. Because I've had I've had a tumultuous, to, to say the least, past seven years. In um, so for those of you out there, for those of your listeners that that you know, okay, yes, blindness is a big setback, and that might seem way too far fetched. But I just went through. I know every divorce is hard. I I, I have been in a divorce nightmare. I mean, oh my gosh, nightmare that I can't even, I was on a podcast the other day and can't even say too much about it because I will end up in court. I mean, I am, I am in court so much. Yes. It has been a complete and utter nightmare. However, and I did, again came to the, this should not be this way. This should not be this way. That, But when I finally was like, well, it is what it is. And now let's, let's see what it could be and went more in the brilliant. There was, talk about living brilliant and resilient. I mean, I was coming back to our nine pillars constantly to work my way through this. But um, the growth that I was able to do and really starting looking at what are our, now, I mean, my, my Chris is a senior in high school. She's heading off to college. I started looking at a couple of years ago, okay, you know, I'm, I'm still a mom forever, right? And I've got Michael's off now working his dream job in, in Disney World. He graduated Penn State last year and and Mitchell is on, on an incredible track at Kutztown University chasing his dreams and Carissa's going after her dream. You know, then what's next, right? Yeah. You know, and I, and I started looking at this a few years ago though, they're not gonna be home forever. I'm not just, you know, doing this for them forever. So where do I really wanna land? And I think that's where the book, the children's book came from because I am at my at my core, a teacher, in elementary school, 
I can't wait to get back in the classrooms with this book and we're designing all these activities to do with it. Um, but I realized as I just started to answer your question specifically, I started paying attention for the past four to five years. What lights me up? What am I doing of service for my kids and service for my community? But where is it that really lights Kristen up? You know, and let's do more of that once the kids are gone. And I've been joking with my Carissa because I'm like, I keep looking at, she goes, you always look at your watch. You never wore, even worn a watch in your whole entire life. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. It's just a thing. So I'm always looking at you know, like at my wrist, like there's a watch, like what, when, when are you going? When are you out of here? <laughs> I got things to do. Right. But I, I have started aligning, like, where am I lighting up? And it's, it's, you know, being on the, on the certain stages helping certain, you know, communities, being back in the rare disease community with all the success I've had there. I mean, I just achieved the pinnacle of, of well, the one of the pinnacles of it. We just got the, uh, my research organization just got the $1.25 million grant from the NIH. That is, that was all relationship building. That wow. was our researcher, Columbia. He didn't even, I didn't even have to fill out that grant. I gave him some of the info he needed for it. He did the whole thing, but that was, we developed a relationship over six years of him working on, on our rare disease. But so now it's like, I can't wait to go back now and, and tell everybody how I was able to do that, you know? And, and it, it's like, it's like, honestly, Amanda, now that I'm thinking about it, it's teaching. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm, I'm, that's my thing that, that is the Kristen Smedley thing and serving me and, and my purpose in this world. It's going back now and teaching everybody the things that I've learned in this 23 year journey. Wow. You know, I, as we close up, I just, I have to remark that what really is so, I think, profoundly touching about you is you embody all of the feelings. So throughout the conversation, tears were, will light up your eyes and then you're so funny and then there will be a joke. And then there's this kind of power that just radiates from you where you power through it. And somehow you have found some sort of secret or maybe you were just, I suspect you were just born with it that, you know, you don't just lie in your tears, which would be really easy to do in every situation. I don't know how you find the strength when you're sad to be powerful. Mm, that's interesting. I, I will say that there are, there have been quite, <laughs> quite a number of sad days and, and sometimes they'll hit me out of the blue. Uh, I mean, you know, like I said, Michael's 23 and, and incredibly successful. And then there's moments where I'll go, damn, but he can't do this. Yeah. But I instantaneously then go to, oh my gosh, but look what he can do. Like I, I, I've learned over the, especially the past year, and Mary Fran can tell you this wholeheartedly. I have literally lived what we have written about and talk about in Brilliantly Resilient and looking at it through the right lens. And really that's my thing. It's, it's when I realize I'm looking at it from the sad victim lens, which we are all, I think, hardwired to do, or at least I was kind of raised that way. Um, when you're looking at it from the victim lens, it, it's, it is too hard to come out from under it. But when you, it's like the eye doctor, you know how they switch it better or worse. Yeah. And when you can literally in your mind flip that and say, but wait a minute, let me look for, for the advantages in this. Let me, instead of, instead of sitting there, you know, in, in, in my divorce and in facing bankruptcy and a lot of things, it was like this, it shouldn't be like this. Okay. But it is. So let's look at what it could be. What if, what if you flip it? 
and envision where you where you believe that you should be, want to be, can be, and go in that direction. It's just really looking at it from a different lens and starting there. And honestly, having a good group of people around you. My tribe has gotten very small. I have a lot of community and connections, but at the core, my tribe has gotten extremely small, um, which I have found to be much more beneficial for me because they're the real deal that I can yeah. go to, you know? Yeah, um, I do. But, but yeah, it, it's definitely looking at things through a different lens and realizing, you know, a lot of times I look back how far I've come. Never did Kristen that was sitting on the floor of the children's room, uh, children's hospital, would I have thought that I would now be the one consoling and giving hope and resources and action to moms like me back then? Well, I have to say you serve as a real beacon. You do. You serve as an inspiration to all of us who, you know, want to find that magic blend of living our purpose and serving others. And I, there's something powerful about that whole, that little concoction that you kind of embody. So I am going to say thank you so much. I know you have places to be. I was like, how the heck can I synopsize Kristen Smedley's life activities, endeavors in 45 <laughs> minutes? I don't think it's possible. I'm going to have to do a long intro, Kristen, this is all I can say, but I'm so wowed by you. I'm really wowed by you and I am so grateful for you. So thank you for making time to come on the podcast. Oh my gosh. Thanks for having me. Thanks for, thanks for being a part of the tribe and, and for doing the work that you're doing to, to get others moving in the right direction in their lives. It's good stuff. Thank you, Kristen. And thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, consider letting people know and giving me a super rating and subscribing and you know, all that good stuff. And finally, I just have to give Bill Aronson a shout out because he is the talented musician who wrote, produced, and recorded the Soulful Connections podcast theme song. It's the best, Bill's the best, and you're the best. Thanks again.